This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So I have a question for you, and I don't want you to raise your hands because I'm not into public shaming, but have you ever been afraid of the dark? Oh, Pam's not afraid to admit that she's been afraid of the dark. Maybe it was a kid in your bedroom. Maybe it was out walking at night somewhere on a trip near your home. Well, about 15 years ago, I took a team of about 10 high school students from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Guyana in South America. We were going to do some work at a church camp there. And of course, we're in the tropics, so it's really hot. I'm trying to fall asleep one night. I'm fighting with my mosquito net. I'm all hot and sweaty because it's super humid. I finally fell asleep. And then at 1 AM, I woke up to the voices of men kind of shouting in the distance. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I went from zero to 60 in about two seconds, and I was envisioning that this was a group of terrorists who saw the Americans come in, and they were going to come, and they were going to get rid of the Americans, executing their vengeance in really terrible ways, and I was considering how I would protect the lives of these high school students, and how at the end of the day, my acts of heroism would be in vain, but we would all appear on CNN and Fox News about this great story of this guy who tried to save the kids, and maybe they would name the barracks in my honor <laughs> posthumously. Now, you can imagine my relief at the rise of the sun to show that all of these fears had no basis, that my fears weren't based in reality. They were probably more so based in my malaria pills that I had been taking. There's something about the darkness, though, that makes us feel afraid and lonely. And it distorts our thinking. And it's partly because we know that bad people tend to do their bad things in the darkness. Now, darkness and light are two of the most well-known and oldest symbols in the world. Nearly every culture, every religion in history has had some sense of this. And even we, who have the benefit of round-the-clock electricity and light, can identify with these basic symbols. Darkness, basically the, the place of fear, anxiety, loneliness, evil, light, the place of peace, joy, hope, and good. And the two of these forces, good and evil, are engaged in this cosmic struggle against one another. And it's a struggle that all of us actually know personally. And some of us, especially today, who had hopes that the lights of Christmas would overcome the darkness of loss depression, isolation. And in the midst of this struggle, we hear the words of the gospel ringing in our ears this morning. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For some of us, this almost can sound too good to be true. Now, it's John's gospel that most uses this metaphor of light to express the identity and work of Jesus, so it makes sense that we would look at his gospel to see what he says about the life and light that Jesus gives to the world. Now, John says a whole bunch about Jesus shining in our darkness. We can't cover it all in one short sermon. So we're just going to look at three of these things that John says about Jesus being our light. And the first one is this. Jesus is the one true light. Now, as Christians, we don't believe in a general message of light or an idea of light or a principle of light. And we believe in a person of light, that light is embodied in the Old Testament, light is a symbol of God's life and God's presence, God's glory, God's salvation. 
In the New Testament, John, the same person who wrote the Gospel of John that we read this morning, wrote some letters, and in his first letter, he said, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. In our Gospel reading today, we read in the beginning of that passage that Jesus is the uncreated one through whom all things were made. He's the source of light and life in the world, verse 4. And this light shines in the darkness, we heard in verse 5. Now, there's an even more pointed example of this later in John's gospel in chapter 8. So, Jesus is going to the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a celebration during the fall season when it's starting to get darker of harvest and light. And in this celebration at the Feast of Tabernacles, in the dark, there were four really huge lampstands. Each of the four lampstands had four golden bowls on, so there's 16 super bright lamps burning. And in a place where there's no public lighting after dark, this was a really great spectacle. In fact, some of the rabbis said that it gave light to all of Jerusalem. And so there was a great celebration with dancing and singing and the people were looking back to the Exodus, remembering that God's presence was with them and how God saved and guided His people. And it was an encouragement to the people to look back and think of Israel who followed the pillar in the wilderness, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, to the Promised Land. And not only did it look back, but it looked forward to the time of liberation from the realm of death and living in the kingdom of light. And so Jesus' actions here in John chapter 8 are actually really jarring. And if you want to turn there, you can. It's a few pages ahead of our gospel reading in John chapter 1. Jesus standing up in this place, symbolizing the light that God gave his people, he, he says these words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus' actions here are really stark and jarring. He's fulfilling salvation history. He's the one who's embodying God's light to the world, and he's making a really absolute claim. He's saying, my light is exclusive, and my light has no rivals. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But what do we hear about light in our culture? We hear a lot about light and darkness. Sometimes we talk about light being out there somewhere. So we look to things outside of ourselves for light, whether they be a social system, a political party, an economic policy, some kind of education, a way of educating. Or we get to the point, perhaps, where we can't trust anything out there as light, and so we look inside. The light is inside of us. I have two examples of this recently that I came across. One, I was looking on a college website, a small liberal arts university, and it had these words, you have something great to offer the world, your truth, your light, and we want to help you find it and make it shine. Or a couple books in the self-help section, live in the light, follow your inner guidance to create a new life and a new world. Or this one, come back home to your powerful light and step into your calling as a light worker to share your light with the world. Now, this sounds great, especially when we can't trust outside light. We look inside to the light that's inside of us. But 
then there's this really great pressure of trying to bring light when we are not the source of it. We're trying to give something that we don't have, and the darkness keeps overcoming. It keeps overcoming in the world outside, and it keeps overcoming inside as well. So it's a good thing, then, that we are not the light. And I love how John places this story of John the Baptist, a different John, I know it's confusing, but right in the middle of this passage talking about Jesus being the light, we have verses 6 through 8 that talk about John the Baptist, and I'll read them really briefly here for you. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John isn't the light. We aren't the light. But you can already start to feel this tension mounting, right? Because if point number one, Jesus is the one true light, and by definition, we are not, then number two, when Jesus, the true light, shines, we're forced off of the fence. No fence sitting allowed. Now, we don't like that because in our culture, we love fences. We love objectivity. We love being neutral. We love examining and evaluating. Like, if I'm going to go buy a light on Amazon, I'm not just going to click the first one and buy the light. I'm going to read about that light. I'm going to look at the information, the lumens, the lifetime, the cost. And I'm going to read about what every other person who has bought that light says about it. And after 75 reviews, I go on to the next light, and I start comparing. And so we do this, and after three hours, I have four lights in my shopping cart, and I decide, ugh, I'm just going to, I'll leave it in my shopping cart, and I'll make the decision tomorrow. But that's not how it works with Jesus. We don't get the light on our terms. We don't get to decide who the light is. We don't get to fashion the light according to our own liking. Because John 1, 9 says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light shines on us, and we don't have a choice either to reject or to submit. Yes, this seems narrow, and it seems exclusive. And in our pluralistic culture, our preference most of the time would be to take this light and just hang it in the room with all the other lights. We have our light of of ourselves, we have the green one and the blue one, and we have the Buddha light, and we have, okay, the Jesus light, sure, I'll put it in this room with all the other lights. But saying Jesus is the only light, sometimes we have a hard time with that. But according to the Gospel of John, this is the main problem of the Gospel story. And he captures it in chapter 3. So if you're here in John 1, if probably if you flip the page in your Bibles, John gets the essence of this in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. And he writes this, The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the true light is here, but people love darkness. The true light exposes the reality of the world, and in John's gospel, often the world is not talking about the created things around us, but it's human nature and human beings in rebellion against God. And so darkness is sin and evil, the world in rebellion against God. And the light confronts the ignorance that we have as people separated 
from God, the unbelief, the confusion, different commitments that we have that are antagonistic to Him. And so there's conflict. And one can only be on this side or the other side. We either reject or we receive. There's no neutrality with the light. So this is the first of two things we learn about the light. First, it exposes darkness. It shines and lets us know how things actually are. Sometimes things are okay. Sometimes they're not pretty. The light often challenges our disordered longings, our disordered affections, the loyalties and loves that we are giving ourselves over to, how we view our identity, how we use our money, how we use our time, how we rely on ourselves, the pride that maybe infects us. And this is why many people reject the light. After all, doesn't that seem like bad news? having light shine on the things that are wrong, that need to be addressed and changed. But maybe it's not bad news after all. I was thinking about the tornado that happened, which is really rare in Virginia. The last year we were living there in 2018, there was a tornado that hit about a mile from our house, and it was at night, it was in the dark. And so when a tornado happens in the dark, you're not exactly sure what you're going to find. But the next day when dawn breaks, then people can go outside and see the extent of the damage. And for those whose homes or businesses were damaged or destroyed, in some ways, they didn't even want to go and see what the damage was, right? If it's really terrible, you almost don't want to know. But then, at the same time, if you want to restore and rebuild, first, you have to have an accurate picture of how things really are. What's okay? What's broken? What needs fixing? What needs to be completely torn down and rebuilt? So actually, the light is a gift. To use a different metaphor, sometimes we need an accurate diagnosis before we can adhere to some kind of treatment for the problem. So Jesus shines his light to show us what's wrong so that we can invite him in to reorder and restore the brokenness. And that leads us to the second thing that we learn about light, is and that light transforms. Light transforms. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So those who receive the light experience transformation. They become children. They're reborn, and this is unpacked in John chapter 3 in much more depth. Those who believe share in the divine birth of Jesus. As they're aligned with the light, he reorders their affections and their loves and their loyalties. Light brings new life, full life. Not an easy life, that's for sure, but a life full of joy, full of hope, full of peace. And it's not a result of human work. God is the one who takes initiative, and we must receive and believe. So we submit, He transforms. And if this light is so good, though, why do, why do so many of us keep this light at arm's length? We run away, we stay away. Maybe for some it's fear, a fear of what this life, what the light might reveal. Is it going to be worse than what I thought? How much death and evil and darkness is there? Maybe it's shame. 
what will others think if I admit what the light is bringing? Should I, or a feeling of, I should be further along. I shouldn't be dealing with this. No one else is struggling with this. These are all fears associated with shame. Maybe it's pride. I don't need anything else. I can do this on my own. I've got it. This isn't so bad. It's not so hard. Or maybe it's even fatigue. Because we know that once the light shines, there's work to be done and, and a submission to happen. And we, there's so much going on in our lives that we feel like we don't need another thing. We don't have enough time and energy even to think about asking the Lord to shine a light in the dark places in our hearts. I've experienced many times the light of Jesus exposing darkness. And the first few times that this did, it, it was, it's a scary thing. I agree. It is scary to ask the Lord of creation to shine his light on our hearts and reveal the places where our hearts are ordered against him. But over time, when we do it and we experience the healing and help and wholeness that the Lord has as we submit to him, I think the easier and easier it becomes because we recognize that this is a good and helpful and holy thing. One of the times that really sticks out in my mind of experiencing the light of Jesus exposing the darkness was actually in Wheaton when we were visiting the Provincial Assembly a couple of years ago. This was 2017 in the summer. And during one of the sessions, there was an evening session, and people at the front were praying for the people in the congregation, and there were calls for repentance for different things. And I was asking the Lord, is this for me? Is that for me? And none of them seemed to fit. And so I just sat there as they continued to pray for others, and I prayed this really dangerous prayer, but really great prayer. Lord, what is the thing that you need to shine the light on? What is the thing that when your light shines on it in my heart, that it will expose something that's awry and someplace where you want to come in and bring transformation to that? And about a minute later, I had this overwhelming sense of pride and arrogance. And I was remembering all these times when I had belittled other people who I thought were intellectually inferior, who even from even Christ followers, whose systems of Christianity I thought were primitive, and I had advanced beyond them to a greater enlightenment in the Lord. And it was disgusting, but it was exactly what needed to happen for me to be purged and purified and opening up a whole new freedom in worshiping the Lord and life in Him. So light exposes darkness, but it also brings transformation. And that's that double-edged sword of how God works in our lives. The things that sometimes we're we're afraid of, we're like, oh, this is going to hurt, and sometimes it does. But in the end, such a good hurt because it brings freedom and life in the Lord. So Jesus is the one true light, and when he shines, we're forced off the fence. He exposes darkness and transforms those who believe. But the third point here is how? How does he do that? Number three, Jesus unites us to the Father. This is an inside job, and there are a couple of really important words here in John chapter 1 verse 14 that are related to the Old Testament, and the words are dwell and glory. Dwell and glory. In the book of Exodus, Moses made the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, and then God dwelt in that space, or God tabernacled among them. 
Now Jesus becomes flesh, and we learn here that God is tabernacling among the people. Jesus is now God's dwelling place among us. Jesus is now the place where earth and heaven meet. And the glory of God that filled the tabernacle back in Exodus is now visible in Jesus. It's not an abstract glory. It's a concrete glory that people could touch and listen to and feel. Moses couldn't see God's face, but Jesus expresses who God is and is the full revelation of God. And because God became flesh in Jesus, we are brought into God's very life. Later on in this gospel in John chapter 14, John pens Jesus' words, John 14, 20. Jesus said, in that day, that day meaning when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells God's people, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. And here's the key to this then. This is a life of participation. It's not just seeing who God is and trying to conform to Him. It's God uniting with us, bringing us by the power of His Spirit into the very life and love that the Father has shown the Son from all eternity. I know, mind-blowing. How do we grasp that? We can't fully, but we live into this reality of participation in God's very life through Jesus. So the good news is that we're united to the light. It's not that God shines the light on and exposes all the mess that we're in so that we can grab our broom and start sweeping it up and cleaning the floor. That would be really bad news. Give us another chance, a second try. Kind of like a different metaphor again, but if we were going up to the board to, in math class, do you remember this, some of you? Maybe algebra, freshman year. I have no memories of that specifically. Solve the problem on the board. Show your solution. And you're writing all the solution, and you're nervous because everyone's watching you, and your back is to them. And then the teacher says, oh, that's, sorry, that's not right. But I'll give you another chance. <laughs> I don't need another chance. I need to be taught the right answer. Giving me another chance without any kind of change in me is not good news. But the good news is that we are united with the answer. We're united with the teacher. We share our life with the teacher, so all that he is is shared with us. We are united with God himself, the one whose word brought creation ex to existence in the beginning. Has the, gives us the authority to become God's children and the power to conform to his image. This is crazy talk. The second person of the Trinity becomes flesh, taking on our sin-stained humanity, which dies on the cross and is raised to new life. We're a new creation. We participate in God's very life as we're united to God through Jesus. So what are we presented with? Not the pressure of trying to come up with light, not finding my own light, light, but an invitation to a union with the true light, the pure light, the holy light, light uniting with me in my darkness, exposing and transforming and healing me from the inside out. You see, we need a light that shines in the darkness. 
so the darkness can't overcome it. We need a God who pitches His tent with us, who gives new birth to children of God. We need Jesus, God from God, light from light, to make God known to us, to unite us to God. Perhaps you're here and you've been on the fence about the light. And today you realize that being on the fence isn't really possible because not submitting is actually rejecting. And there's a chance today to submit to the one true light, the light that will expose the darkness of sin and bring hope and life and transformation. Today could be a day of saying this initial yes to Jesus and living in union with this God of light. And there's some here probably too who are walking with Jesus, but for some reason you're experiencing a cloud of darkness. Maybe it's fear or loneliness or anxiety or depression. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a trusting in yourself or in your possessions or Maybe it shows itself in a desire to control everything, or maybe it shows itself in an addiction. And you need the light this morning, the light of Jesus to expose the darkness, to bring healing and transformation. There's an initial yes to Jesus, but there's also an ongoing yes to Jesus as we walk in union with Him, the light. So let me encourage you, don't let fear or shame or pride or fatigue keep you away. And may you, like I did that day, perhaps pray a simple but bold and revolutionary prayer, that dangerous prayer of, Jesus, would you shine your light in my heart today and give me the grace to receive you. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.